Hello and welcome to the Guernsey Daily. I'm Rob Byrne. And I'm Ollie Gew. This is the only place for candidate interviews and daily campaign updates on Guernsey's 2020 election. We're aiming to be as celebrated as Dr Nicky Brink. Impossible. As sarcastic <laughs> as BBC Guernsey's Oscar Pearson. Impossible. <laughs> and as exciting as a Guernsey police recruitment video. Now that is a tall order. Not only are we interviewing candidates on the podcast, we're also bringing you a series of election-based features in each episode. Yeah, coming up you're going to hear from Sasha Kazentseva-Miller, a local businesswoman, probably best known for her time with Island Mums. The core of my manifesto is about the need to invest in our economy with sustainability strings attached. And if we don't, then the implications will be very dire. More from Sasha shortly and from Liberate's Ellie Jones, who's part of a new group focused on bringing work, rights and well-being to the top of the agenda. You have to have a good balance of social policy and fiscal policy. Otherwise, you know, you can't have one without the other. It doesn't work as an economy. It's not some sort of utopian dream that we can't get to. Also, remember to look out for our special bonus episodes featuring audio manifestos from each candidate. We're releasing them in bite-sized chunks for you to listen to at your leisure. But first, a bit of bingo. Manifesto bingo, Ollie. Oh, manifesto bingo. (laughs) So excited. I actually don't know what this is. Well, let me tell you, I mean, since our pilot episode, which like a ton of stuff has happened, and obviously the big thing is that uh, the state's website has published all of the videos of the candidates and also uh, the booklet with the one-page manifestos, uh, along with, you know, details directing you to the individual candidates' websites, which have the longer ones as well. So I've begun like everyone, I guess, or like a lot of people, just sort of leafing through them and and finding out some of the more interesting points to come up in people's manifestos. And what I thought would be quite good fun is to just give you a little hint as to who might be saying something and what they're saying, and you can have a guess as to who that might be. Um, Right, question number one. So this former Vale deputy was voted out in 2016. He writes in his manifesto, We need to say a big thank you to Dr. Nicole Brink for all she has done for the island. Now, that is probably the biggest clangor of this election so far. Nicole Brink, if you are out there, whoever you might be, please do get in touch with the Guernsey Daily and thank you for your your participation. Um, If you're related to Nicola, even better. So it was a Vale deputy. Yeah, Um, former Vale deputy, but he was voted out in 2016. Ooh. And I can give you another clue if you're struggling. He's sort of a, a bowls meister, lawn bowls. Big into lawn bowls. I am going to say. You've not got it, have you? I am going to say David Delisle. Ooh. No, you're wrong. It's Gary Collins. Gary Collins. Uh, This um, quiz manifest, I'm not sure how it is, bingo, but it's totally going to highlight the fact that I know deputies by name only and not by parish, which may be a reason for island-wide voting. Who knows? Yeah, it doesn't matter anymore, mate. We're in a brave new dawn. Uh, Okay, number two. I'm a former hotelier who wants reviews of seven different things in my manifesto, including reviewing the role of Visit Guernsey, the GFSC, and the population management strategy. Who am I? Simon Vermeulen. Bing! 
<laughs> you got one. There you go. Yeah. That was easy. It wasn't that was easy. Okay. Uh, number three. I'm the father of a BBC radio presenter, and I cheerily write in my manifesto, this will not be the last pandemic. We need to protect ourselves from the next ones too. <laughs> I thought you'd get. I thought you'd get the father of the BBC radio presenter, considering you're a former BBC radio presenter. <laughs> Wait, I didn't this know. Is any... a, this is a, this is a Guernsey radio BBC presenter. A, a BBC radio Guernsey presenter. The father of a BBC radio Guernsey presenter. Wait, someone's. Oh, wait, the the last time I checked, I mean, I don't... <laughs> oh, I haven't, is I haven't it been Martin listening religiously. Russell? Yes, yes. Oh, God, Sidley. Yeah. Sorry, Sidley. I Sydney. forgot about you briefly. Um, <laughs> this will not be the last pandemic. That's a cheery, uh, cheery addition to his manifesto. He's right, though, isn't he? Though. Well, He's yeah, right. very true. Okay, number four. Uh, this is a St. Peter Port Dizineer, and she's not happy with all the jargon in the states. In her manifesto, she writes: "Prior to approval, all paperwork should be in plain English." Why not Guernsey French? That's what I'm... A little bit of patois. Well, to she is... confuse matters even more. To, to give you another clue, she's certainly sort of, um, I guess, interested in our Norman heritage because uh, to halt the narrowing of a road in 2018, she invoked the ancient plea of the Clamour de Harrow, oh. which also features in her manifesto. Was that Rosie Henderson? Yes. Yes. The Clamour de Harrow. Do you know what? I was speaking to somebody from outside of Guernsey recently who felt compelled to write uh, a folkloric tale um, off the back of the Clamour de Harrow being uh, used for the first time in, in however many years. Uh, so there we go. Guernsey wow. spreading far and wide with its clamour. I actually remember reading about that in The Guardian. Not, not, not the local <laughs> media. So yeah, it was um, it was pretty widely covered, I seem to remember. Okay. Final question. Um, you're doing all right here. You've got three out of four. I genuinely wasn't expecting that. And I think you have a good chance of this one. Number five, I'm a politician with 20 years experience. In my manifesto, I write, the role of a deputy needs re-evaluation as the current position lacks clear duties, research and, wait for it, secretarial support. <laughs> I mean, what does that say about them? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's themselves innocent, in the cross but but could yeah sounds a bit um, antiquated, shall we say? Twenty years as a deputy. Yep. Is it Deputy John Gollum? That's correct. It is. Yes. Well, one round of manifesto bingo down, and I'm actually feeling confident going into the second round. Um, hopefully, you listening um, did as well, if not better, than I did. But are you going to remain as generous uh, the next time round, Rob? You know that I'm not. I'm not teasing you into it. <laughs> Up next is our first guest and candidate throwing her hat in the ring. For the 2020 election, Sasha Kazentseva Miller. Sasha, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. I just wanted to know. Uh, we tend to kick it off by just finding out a bit more about you as a person. Uh, tell us about you and and why you've decided to stand for election. Oli and Rob, thank you so much for having me uh, on board. I'm a little bit used to podcasting because I run my own post podcast. So hopefully, I, I'm not going to make a complete mess out of it. But I'm standing for election because. I feel we need a new kind of assembly. I feel we need to have more representation from a diverse uh, group of people who 
care about the issues that the community cares about. And um, I would like to get more things done in the assembly as well. I come very much from a uh, business technology uh, uh, backgrounds and and used to launching and running with projects and I would really like more to see more happen uh, in our assembly. And what is your background for those that don't know anything about you? Yeah, so I come from, uh, I worked in Google as one of the businesses. I worked in L'Oreal. Um, I worked uh, in uh, in Agoda.com, which is a hotel booking site. So quite kind of in, in my professional career, I have a very tech tech background, but focused on product development and, and marketing and have worked um, around the world, including, uh, you know, London, Madrid, uh, Singapore, Thailand. And when I, when I moved to Guernsey about uh, eight years ago uh, with my husband, um, I got quite involved with the local. Um, business community and, and startup community as well, uh, working with with startup Guernsey, helping local businesses uh, to get started, uh, but also with the Chamber of Commerce. I've run my own business and uh, have invested in businesses and have advised uh, startups and businesses. So quite a diverse, I guess, career uh, working with a variety uh, of businesses of different sizes. But I guess my highlight was certainly working for Google uh, 10 years ago. You also uh, ran Island Mums, didn't you? Absolutely. So yes, so I bought Island Mums five years ago and helped grow it to become a very much loved local brand um, that serves uh, about a thousand uh, families on the island. And uh, we worked with hundreds of local small businesses. So that's given me a real insight of the life of the local, you know, especially small and medium sized business community. So it's been a wonderful journey. I uh, sold the business uh, uh, earlier this summer to pursue uh, my interest in sustainability and at a similar time decided to stand for election. Sounds like you quite a busy person are you going to have time to to dedicate solely to to being a deputy yeah, so I've uh, I've cleared uh, my decks, uh, shall we say. So as I mentioned, I no longer work with Island Mums. Um, I still sit on the board of Guernsey Ports, uh, but if I am elected, I would have to, uh, you know, withdraw from from that position because obviously Guernsey Ports is part of the state's assets. So I wouldn't be able to to sit on the board as well. So I think, you know, I will be able to dedicate uh, fully to be a politician. I do have three uh, small children who all go to school. So that creates its own, obviously, challenges. But, uh, you know, we have very um, equal uh, responsibility sharing household. My husband is very involved with everything and very supportive. So, yes, I think I can. I'm definitely will definitely have the time to to do it properly. And I, I if I get involved with things, I do them properly. And what was it that uh, drew you and your husband to coming Guernsey people will obviously hear you and, and see your name and see that you're uh, you're not originally local um but tell us about that that journey and how you've come to Guernsey yeah so it was very kind of uh I guess personal decision because my um husband's parents he is British uh, they were not well and we were based in Asia at that point and he wanted to move closer to the UK um and chose Guernsey as kind of like the closest <laughs> Uh, place to be without actually being in the UK and so we very much moved for those reasons and fell in love with the islands all of our children have been born here uh, you know we've been actively involved with the business community um, have a, a local uh, license and have bought into the local market so very much feel like part of the furniture now. And as um, one of the female candidates uh, running for election, still uh, numbers obviously not at 50-50, um, are you hoping that the electorate 
voting 50 50 and and you know there is that sort of diversity within the states do you think it needs it I do think we need diversity and not just uh, gender diversity, but really diversity across uh, the whole um, range of uh, aspects, whether it's the political spectrum, um, age, uh, gender, uh, talents and experiences. Um, I would love to see more women standing. I think we had a really good uptake last at the last election and significantly increased the proportion of women from I think about 11% to 30%. Uh, From what I see now, the proportion is about the same. So the likelihood is that we will probably have a similar proportion of women in the States, but I'm hopeful maybe actually some of the female candidates will do better. I do think women have a lot to bring from their experience, from their uh, viewpoints, but I do believe they are better collaborators. Uh, They work together better, uh, more empathetic. And I feel that's really what we need in the, in the States is an assembly that puts the egos aside and works better together. Is that why you decided to team up with other independents in the Guernsey Partnership? Um, it's a very good question. I think that's definitely one of the reasons. And I knew probably about six, seven of the standing candidates um, in, the, in the Guernsey Partnership of Independence. And I felt that I could trust to work with those with those people, even when our political views might differ. Um, and I felt that if if they have the trust in the other candidates, you know, it's certainly a step in the right direction. So I think we are not a political party um, in, in the traditional sense because we don't align uh, by uh, certain policies or uh, political uh, spectrum preference. But we align very much around that pledge to work together, to honour consensus government, to move on when decisions are taken, to invest in our economy, in our people and environments. And I felt I could align by those principles. Are those principles not pretty... Well, <laughs> I was going to say universal, but, you know, do, does signing up to that pledge actually really mean a lot in the minds of voters? Well, I think you raise a very good point because, yes, they should be universal principles. But unfortunately, that's not how perhaps you could see the assembly behaved in the last in the last term. So it almost feels like there's work to do. And perhaps the pledge by signing an official pledge, you officially commit to that kind of behavior. and. Um, and I think if you you don't honor that pledge, there will be repercussions. And we very much obviously want to work with the rest of the assembly and instill those kind of universal principles, as you said. Uh, but we felt it was important to sign that pledge and to make it official and 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 to align behind those values. But do you get what I mean in in terms of you know party politics hasn't really taken off, and part of the reason why people thought it might do under island wide voting is because it kind of makes the decision making process easier for voters because you have a block of candidates who uh, you know might agree on the same policies and might take things in a certain way, but with your partnership, it doesn't necessarily do that. Do you, do, you, do you see where I'm coming from? Yeah, of course. I think we're going to see such a whole spectrum of uh, voting behavior from the one extreme where people would have literally spent five weeks researching, engaging, you know, listening to your podcast, reading everything, reading everyone's manifestos, creating spreadsheets that literally, uh, you know, categorize candidates and then make extremely informed decisions to uh, the other extreme where, you know, some people are still not aware we have island-wide voting. 
right? And anywhere in between, I think some people still think we have the parish election and are asking, well, which parish you're standing with. So I think, uh, yes, absolutely. Yes. Well, I've had that. uh, And through other candidates that I've spoken to, they, they, they hear those questions. Absolutely. Still. So I think we felt, um, aligning behind the pledge and, and the values and creating uh, the partnership of independence will will send certain signals and intentions and i think it will play a role in the in the in the voting uh decisions of of some voters but it may not make any difference to others but we felt it was the move in the right direction to get a better assembly together let's move on to um your manifesto then and actually the subject of your podcast being um around sustainability so i assume that's going to be you know something that you're you're pushing forward um wholeheartedly why why sustainability why the podcast why is it such an important issue for you so last year i started uh, my first kind of sustainability initiative in guernsey which was uh with the, with the Chamber of Commerce, and it was called the Sustainable Business Initiative. Uh, we were focusing on the business angle of sustainability. We could see how essential it was start to look at sustainability as one of the key strategies uh, in any business setting. However, I quickly saw that we needed a more holistic um, understanding and overview of environmental issues. And so I left the initiative earlier this year, and as COVID started, I also saw the opportunity that if we were going to rebuild and invest in our economy, economic recovery uh, after the pandemic, it it would be such an opportunity to also embed um, sustainability thinking in the recovery. So this was very much the reason I launched Transition Islands as a platform to influence the government to start uh, embedding sustainability in, in their decision making, and so behind the scenes, we've been talking with um, uh, economic developments uh, and some of the deputies from from April uh, around that subject, and they were very good and engaged and listening. But I actually realized you have to be at the decision making table for people to actually listen to you and for ac- things and actions to to start happening. So it was very much through my engagement on the outside with the governments and with my podcast that I realized, well, you need to be at the decision-making table. Why sustainability is so important? Because I believe we've disregarded um, sustainability thinking really in policy making, in the way uh, businesses are run um, and governed. And we are just setting ourselves on a course of um, no return where it will be too late to make something happen. But the best part of that is that becoming more environmentally sustainable makes good sense for business and makes good sense for the economy. And for me, it's that magic interface between economic development and sustainability. So sustainable economic development, I feel that's where the really exciting opportunities for innovation, for economic growth, diversification, lay for our islands and the world. And how are you going to to support that growth? What what ideas do you have in terms of uh, sustainable economic growth in Germany? So, so one of the ideas, and I've seen that happen in many other in other jurisdictions. Uh, it's happening in the UK with the green growth deal it's happened in Korea and and other places so for example to launch a green energy fund 
50 million um, green energy fund, which will give grants to households to change their, for example, um, fossil fuel boilers to electric boilers to improve uh, insulation and basically make home improvements so they're, they're more energy efficient. So this kind of programs create straight away create uh, jobs, uh, create upskilling so that uh, the local engineers construction sector become more skilled in, in installing more energy efficient renewable uh, sources but also ensure that we start moving on our commitments uh, around climate action. Another idea I would like to bring forward is making sure we start to compost our food and green waste. Currently, we export all of our waste, but actually waste is not waste. It's another resource that you can use and composting uh, food and green waste locally and making sure it returns back to the soil so it becomes more fertile, you can start growing more produce locally and our soil is very poor, poor quality and it's 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 very thin. So, so that's another idea of what we can do. The other side of things is actually if we start investing more in protecting our environment, uh, whether it's through conservation zones, creating a center for nature, that's being discussed as part of the strategy for nature. By protecting our environment, we will attract uh, people who come here for ecological reasons, so ecotourism, um, for active and nature-based tourism. So, you know, families coming here for active holidays, kayaking and cycling and stuff like that. So, so tourism and environmental protection also go hand in hand for me. For the um, Green Energy Fund, I mean, 50, 50 million pounds is a, a lot of money, but obviously you mentioned that it, it would lead to, um, you know, new jobs. Um, wh- you know, how long would you be expecting to sort of make a return on that 50 million? So there are different mechanisms how you can f- fund basically uh, a program like that. It could link to energy uh, savings. So what you could be doing is you're providing the funding, but you're buying the the predicted bills that you would have to pay anyway. And so the funding happens through the energy savings that you create. So, and it really will depend on the type of household, the type of, say, electric boiler system you might be using and stuff like that. But I would probably say you're looking at 10 to 20 year um, horizon, but um, it, it could be quicker, it could be longer, depending really on the on the types of home improvement investments you're doing. Interesting. And and one other thing I wanted to pick you up on in your manifesto was you have a, a, a section on sustainable tax and you say that you're against any tax changes that make lower income households worse off. Obviously, the island is, you know, going to be sliding into deficit as, as it's been hit by coronavirus and that, you know, is loaning money to, to businesses and, you know, there's going to be a big black hole that needs to be filled. How do you do that without you know, not taxing people on lower income more, presumably you're going to be taxing people on bigger incomes or businesses or bringing in measures that might threaten the competitiveness of the island and the attractiveness of it from a tax perspective. How do you square that um, that rather difficult issue? Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's a very interesting situation because I think it's important to know that uh, currently we are eating into the capital reserves that have been built over the, say, the decade of fiscal restraints. So right now we're not actually borrowing and, and creating a, you know, a black hole. There is a revolving credit that we can tap into, but I think we haven't because we're still 
working off the back of the reserves that have been built. But you what anticipate happened... that it will in the future, though, presumably, as as you know, as the you know the GDP, the economy sort of slows and uh, you know unemployment rises, for example. Yeah, so I think that's going to be the interesting point. And I think what's very important to notice is that we have underinvested in our economy. And there has been a report um, released recently by the Scrutiny Committee on the capital expenditure, which which showed clearly that we have underinvested in our economy over the last, you know, eight to 10 years. Uh, and that's equivalent to about 300 million pounds, which means so we're in a situation where we've been fiscally prudent. But we have also not invested in our economy, which creates the multiplier effect for creating, you know, better jobs, more incomes, which creates off the back of it uh, income tax, corporate tax, uh, social security and so on. So I think if we if we don't start investing in our uh, infrastructure, in different uh, uh, capital projects and so on, then yes, we will start having a, a deficit and a black hole, which will have to be covered by an increase in taxes, which is why I think it's absolutely essential. And I think the core of my manifesto is about the need to invest in our economy and obviously with sustainability strings attached. And if we don't, then the implications will be very dire because we will have to increase taxes. And even without COVID, we've had a pressure uh, through through many, many different um, areas of the, the need to increase taxes, whether it's the uh, long-term uh, care fund, the secondary pension schemes, and things like that, and the, the, the new uh, nice drugs um, as well. So just those pressures have already been creating, um, you know, the need to review the tax uh, system which I think is happening in the next six to 12 months, basically. Um, I would like to see that we obviously manage our tax base and remain competitive. And I do think it's absolutely essential that we support innovation, we support new businesses, we upskill our workforce, you know, we make sure we have full employment. So the, the economic engine is really buzzing and is healthy and alive, which will then mean we don't have to, we can keep the pressure on taxes low. Is there going to be a lag though in that? I mean, uh, economic recovery won't be instant and the sort of multiplier effect of a strong economy, you know, in terms of uplifting people and, and, you know, certainly those on lower incomes doesn't happen overnight. So, you know, could, for example, taxes increase on on wealthy individuals of which there are, you know, proportionally quite a lot in, in Guernsey compared to other jurisdictions? Uh, potentially, I think what's interesting is that we can borrow the money that's committed to Revive and Thrive and match it to projects which have, uh, you know, guaranteed uh, income streams. So, so any borrowings uh, will be hopefully serviced uh, by some some of these projects. So that means we don't need to then look into increasing taxes, for example. So I think. There are kind of different things we need to look into. One is, yes, how do we fund uh, some immediate um, requirements we may have, such as from COVID pressures. Um, then we have the much longer term structural st- structural requirements um, brought through the so- social policy uh, initiatives we've had. And so the, the longer term structural changes will need to to look into tax implications but that investment part into the economy i believe you know can be serviced in large by income streams and 
paying of the interest from the projects that you invest in. Sasha, thanks so much for uh, coming on. We really appreciate your time. Fantastic. Thank you so much, guys. And finally, a chat with Liberate's Ellie Jones, who's joined forces with other groups in Guernsey to highlight issues around work, rights and well-being. We've just gathered a group of people together to do a social policy, essentially hustings. Um, it's uh, based on people's workplace, um, you know, the environment that they work in, their rights um, and their well-being. So it covers a whole host of um, you know, different types of topics. And we wanted to make sure that social, social policy was up there as much um, as fiscal policy, because we need, you know, good policies on both for a, um, a thriving um, economy, a thriving community. Do you think uh, issues of discrimination, of workplace, of rights, are going to be focused on more, um, more readily this year? I hope they are. Um, I mean, that's one of the reasons that we've um, introduced these hustings, to make sure that they are up on people's agenda um, I think, you know, one of the interesting things for, from our side will be people that don't get involved. Um, you know, we're going to pe- give people multiple opportunities um, to come and talk, to answer questions after uh, the hustings if they can't make it on that night. Um, so, yeah, I think it should be up there. I think it's not necessarily up there for a lot of people already. Um, you know, people have been vaguely canvassing for the last six months or so, and, and I didn't see anyone mention anything about social policy in, in those um, initial conversations. I think, Ellie, that's something I've observed in reading manifestos and just to some of the candidates we've spoken to is that sometimes, you know, there's a lot of focus on the economy post coronavirus, getting things back. But really, social issues, you know, they, they don't even figure in some people's manifestos. No, and it, it, it's frustrating from my point of view. Obviously, I like, this is what I do every day, um, you know, particularly with um, Liberate Equality Guernsey you know, looking at, at those social issues and how that impacts on the whole of the community. Um, and when people don't even consider it, um, it, it is frustrating. And it gets put down a lot as kind of, I don't know, loony lefts and all this type of stuff. But, you, you know, you have to have a good balance of social policy and fiscal policy. Otherwise, you know, you can't have one without the other. It doesn't work as an economy. It's not some sort of utopian dream that we can't get to. Um, you know, we just need to push for it to be on people's um, agenda. What would you say to people who, I mean, we're kind of already hearing the argument that if the economy is strong, everything else looks after itself. What, what would you say to someone who who um, who comes forward with that proposition? I guess if the economy is strong, we should be able to look after everything else. Whether we do is needs policies on social policy to make sure that, that people are looked after, that we look after our most vulnerable. You know, you, you only have to glance at what's happened with COVID and actually, you know, all the adjustments that we made, all of the um, things that we did to make sure that the most vulnerable, the most isolated were looked after, were cared for, weren't forgotten about, that's social policy. You know, we've been doing it all year. It's been at the the top of our agendas. Um, You know, it's not something that we can just not think about and only think about in a crisis. And yes, if we've got a thriving economy, it just makes it easier to um, put those social policies in place because we have the money to do it. Um, but you know, one light leads into the other all the time. Tell us a little bit about your hosting events, uh, where it is, how people can get involved. The hustings is on uh, Wednesday the twenty third, and um, we 
doing it at the library um, so that it's a fully accessible venue. Hopefully people will feel comfortable there because it's a space that most people have been into. Um, we're going to have 10 different tables, um, kind of a speed dating, but a little bit longer kind of format. Um, it runs from half six um, until half past nine. We're inviting any members of the public to come along, obviously all potential deputies. Um, you can sit in on the various different sessions, which will be on different topics from things like the discrimination legislation to uh, the review of the justice laws uh, to in-work poverty, all sorts of um, social policy issues, mental health, arts, supporting carers, cost of living, um, all, all of those sort of topics. And you can sit into the ones that interest you or you can rotate around the tables, hopefully be able to listen to lots of different candidates. So we've got, um, it, it is a ticket only event uh, but it's free tickets so it's just register so that we've got an idea of numbers because obviously we're capped at a certain amount of numbers but you can find that either on our Facebook page and um, if you look for Hustings 2020 work rights and well-being or you can look for the same um, events on Eventbrite. Excellent Ellie Jones thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you want more election fun, the first set of audio manifestos is available for you to listen to. And you can find them in the same place where you found this episode of the Guernsey Daily. And get in touch with us on Twitter at Guernsey Daily or email the Guernsey Daily at gmail.com. Until next time, goodbye. Bye.